This is the Like-Minded Investors Real Estate Podcast, episode number eight. Welcome to the Like-Minded Investors Real Estate Podcast. My name is Kier. And I'm Bill. And we are more than excited to bring you our guest today, um, which is Chris Burkeen. Um, I have known him for over a year and I wanted to have him on here because his story is just like, like every other person on here, his story is absolutely incredible. Um, and we talked so much with him tonight that we ran out of time and we will definitely be having him on, which you'll hear in the episode. He promises us a couple of things that he's going to have accomplished by January. (laughs) So you think he's going to be able to do that, Bill? I mean, the way he's going, I certainly do. I don't know so much about the TikTok one. I might bet against him in regards to that. <laughs> we won't tell him that. I'm rooting for him though. But in in terms of his uh, real estate goals and his financial goals, I don't I don't see why why not. I mean, he's yeah. he's doing everything, um, and he's doing it very well. Yeah, yeah. As you'll hear in the episode, um, he really finally got got started in real estate in January. He's already made over $120,000 in deals. Uh, his goal here uh, for the next couple months is to make $50,000 a month for the rest of the year. So um, it is just really cool. I love how he goes over. Um, he he kind of like dives into specifics in this episode, which, you know, you guys will, you'll hear. I love how he, got, he dove into exactly what he's doing for his direct mail, exactly the list he's targeting, who he feels like um, the, the best response or what list has the best respo- response rate. Oh my gosh, I can't speak. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I love, 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 love how we ended on the mindset piece. I thought yes. that was his take on, um, just mindset in general and also having a community to reach out to. I love, I, I love that whole um, topic that, that we went into with him. Yeah, if, if anybody out there who's listening has an interest in direct mail and really trying to find those off-market deals, I mean, this this is the episode for you. Chris, he, he dives in so deep on even like what his letters say, not not even the type of letter or anything. I mean, it's it's one of those that you're, you're going to want to take out a pen and paper and write down some notes when it comes to that section. I mean, the mindset piece is huge. You and I are, are big mindset. We're big community people, like-minded investors as a community. Um, obviously, there's a lot of other small communities and big communities within the real estate um, investor community, not to reuse the word, at large. Um, so, you know, Chris is a part of one and, and a part of ours. And, and um, you know, having those people to lean on when you have problems, I think, is super valuable. Yeah, Absolutely. So uh, I think before we give away the entire episode, um, <laughs> I think we'll we'll dive right into it and uh, we'll, we'll welcome Chris. Yeah, sounds sounds like a plan. Let's get him in. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here, Chris. Welcome to the Like Minded Investors Podcast. How are you? Fantastic. How about you? I'm so You're excited good. to be here. I'm so excited you're here, and you know I know you and Bill don't know each other very well but i'm sure by the end of this episode you guys will yeah absolutely I, I, I feel, it's kind of been a recurring theme of, of getting to know all of our guests and it's been I'm awesome so they far in this studio that's my new plan yeah 
<laughs> There's not a lot of room, but we can make it work. <laughs> that toaster oven's good enough for two pizzas. I see right there. It's good enough for that. Yeah, yeah. We can, you know, do all of the uh, frozen pizzas we want, right. whatever. <laughs> yeah, for those that don't remember, Bill's living in a, you know, live and flip, and he's only using about 300 square feet of, of the property right now as like a little studio. So if you look on YouTube, you can, you can kind of check out his space and the toaster oven they're talking about right now. Um, but I guess let's get started. Um, Chris, if you just want to like dive right in, tell us who you are, um, kind of, you know, I'm sure why you're on this podcast, you probably know because you're an incredible human being and have done incredible things in real estate. So kind of just like start us off with a little introduction. Sure. Uh, I'm Chris Brickeen. I'm in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, actually in Arlington, Texas, uh, home of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we... Uh, I have been in real estate now for a full year, right? Since Kieran and I met. So yeah, right at a full year. Uh, I've been truly investing since the beginning of the year. So I would say January was my official start date clock. Um, before that, I spent 23 years in the corporate world, uh, slogging it out all the way up through every bit of raise and time I could possibly do. Uh, and then in, after COVID hit, uh, I had a great job. Uh, I was just working hundred hours a week and I literally lived in my upstairs office and uh, I wasn't seeing my family. I've traveled a ton before that. And it just literally clicked uh, that something wasn't going well. All this gray literally came like COVID. I mean, I was a good looking guy just a few months ago and this all happened. Um, and so I walked downstairs, told my wife, I said, Hey, I think I'm going to quit. I, my, our, we had family things we needed to attend to. I wasn't available for them. Um, and then it just was one of those things where it just made sense for us at the time. Uh, she said, what are you going to do? I was like, I'll get another job. I'll just figure out that next transition. And as I started doing that, I realized I'm just going to regurgitate that same thing. Like I had this cycle. I grew up um, kind of in a mix of two worlds. My, my, we lived in South Dallas um, and with my mom and then my grandpa had 400 acres. So I was like suburban, I shouldn't say suburban, like inner city uh, type gro growth. And then the, you know, farm ranch lifestyle. So I really got two versions of who I got to be. But within that, I learned a lot about work ethic. And so where that lifestyle came from and why I worked so hard was that you trade your time for dollars. The more time you put in, the more money you get. You know, the more you work in the land, the more you get back from the soil. That's just how it is. It just never occurred to me because I'm really stubborn, as my wife will tell you. And it took me 20 plus years to figure it out that wait, that's not how it works in the corporate world. Like those hundred hour weeks weren't equaling larger paychecks. They were equaling more responsibility, but nobody was telling me don't do it. Like nobody, none of, none of nobody. They were just like, keep going, keep bringing it on. It's free labor. Um, so I think as I transitioned from that, I really realized that that was not the life for me. Um, so I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because, you know, that's the life-changing book for most of us. Um, right at the, right before COVID hit, uh, I had made this, uh, I listened to Bigger Pockets 
probably like seven or eight podcasts heard Avery Carl for short-term rentals. I literally, I think I skipped Traster. I probably shouldn't say that out loud. Skip Traster, found her number, somehow got her private line as she's driving to Florida to talk to her for an hour about short-term rentals. And I was going to start investing in short-term rentals right before COVID. That was my whole plan. But then it wasn't that I was afraid of doing it during COVID. It was that my job that I was working in, I had 4,000 people that reported to me and I needed to figure out how to keep them employed. So like that was my turnaround was, oh my gosh. I So when well, I finally had hit the level of that in June of last year, realized that, that was we were good, I kind of walked away and really had a new vision of where I wanted to be and decided that maybe I'll just check out this real estate thing. Found Steve Rosenberg on Instagram and Ashley on Instagram, kind of followed Ashley Karen, then got into the little mastermind, met Kier. We did some work for them, which helped us kind of get some additional coaching and just kind of get a closer view of it. Uh, went through a couple things and that really led me into all right, hey, I can actually possibly do this. Uh, there's some smart people out here, but I didn't think that they were much smarter than me. They just had the applications to know how to do all of these things. And so I was like, oh, this is not as difficult as I thought it was. It was more of this road, mental roadblock getting there. So I am um, went to DC, dropped my daughter off to college in DC. She's doing uh, George Washington. And she, uh, on the way back, I stopped and met another couple that was doing wholesaling. And uh, they happened to be uh, part of Brian Dossie's program for CCF. Um, and I kind of recognized it just following some of Ryan Dossie's stuff on YouTube at the time, because I kind of binged watched him because I liked his style. And so after that, I thought about it for a while because it's the monetary commitment that you have to make. And uh, I was like, Dude, I paid, you know, I have a BS in business. I like to say that because it's true. And uh, I have a BS in business and I paid a lot of money for it. I mean, and it's obviously gotten me somewhere. I got a lot of really good experience, but it's not going to make me wealthy. Maybe I'll try this avenue. It's, you know, about the same. Kind of what I was like, oh, it's worth it. Let's try it. So, uh, and then, so I started, I joined in October of last year. Um, and then in January, when we started, really, it takes about three months to get off the ground. You start your business and all that stuff. So in January, we started uh, mailing and had my first deal in February, first flip in February. Uh, so since then, we've done about 13 deals and made about 120 grand, I think, so far this year. Um, and hopefully, goal this goal the rest of the year is making another. Uh, 50 each month the rest of the year. So that's kind of a scaling plan right now. So that's oh, right. Yeah. 50 each month, you said. Yeah. I have a wow. pretty aggressive goal. Um, I've always been a high, like, hey, where can you possibly push yourself as far as you can go? Um, I messed up a lot this whole year. My execution's been off, and I'm an operations guy, so that's even worse to say that. <laughs> um, it's been way off. I hate certain parts of this business. Um, I hate getting on the phone with leads. Like it's my least favorite thing to do. And so uh, it took me a long time to realize that I was my whole back on that. So I got a, uh, 
a acquisitions manager. I hired an acquisition manager to do that. And that literally lightened the load a little bit just so I could take that part of it off. Um, and then I also, at the same time, I bought uh, quadplex and we also purchased a single family home for rentals. And so, and then we, the quadplex, we have one long-term rental and three Airbnb in it. So there's a lot of like variations of things going on for me to also manage uh, wholesaling. So I really have kind of pulled myself in 40 different ways throughout the process to try to get myself in line. So, yeah. So you still almost fell into the, the short-term rentals then with those Airbnbs in that quadplex. Yeah, so the, the quadplex was a phenomenal opportunity and it's actually a true story. I hired my acquisition manager. Uh, he did some driving for dollars after he went to an appointment in, an Air, in Waco and wait where Chip and Joanna are, you know, so you got it. And so this uh, quadplex was for sale on the MLS, but it was also marked on my list for driving for dollars. So he just happened to call. Yeah, it's up for sale. He went and toured it, looked at it, took some pictures. Uh, they had it under, somebody already had it under contract and it was on the MLS for 295, but it was worth 320. So we were like, well, that's super weird. Like, why would it be that way? Um, so we asked some questions, try to get, dig in. Then the contract fell through. We threw in an offer just to see if we could even get them to budge. I was like, I'm not going in that much. Let's go 265. I threw it out there as a number. I figured that was kind of a game number for me. I thought it was worth 330. So that's why I did 265. And, uh, they came back and said, yes. And I was like, Oh, Hey, all right. So literally two weeks later, I'm like closing on this uh, quadplex, uh, with the line of credit that I have. And I had to put $15,000 down on it, but a 5% roughly, I think total. And then, uh, so far we're, we're doing pretty good. I mean, last, the first month was rough. We didn't make any money. Uh, but the next month we made $900 this month will probably be about the same. So we'll be running pretty good for the year. I, I imagine based on my investment, we'll probably be at a 30 or so percent turn on investment. So not bad. That isn't bad. So I'm curious about the line of credit, how you, how you, uh, purchased it with a line of credit. Um, was that a credit from, or a line of credit from a, from another property or kind of where'd that come into play? Uh, this is my favorite story. So, um, I had pulled out money when I left my job and, uh, we have a nest egg set aside but I didn't want to use my nest egg because I really needed that to like pay bills until I got this going. And my goal to my wife was you won't have to pay anything. My wife's a full-time counselor uh, at elementary school. She's stressed out all the time. I'm like, so you don't have to worry about the bills. I got it all still like we've always been doing. So nothing will change for you while I figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. That sounds like a good deal, I think. Um, so I didn't want to use my nest egg. So I made a list of local banks that are in our area, banks and credit unions. I Googled them all and I just started dialing for dollars, literally calling them every, every one of them. And I had kind of a, the first few ones I called were like bigger just cause I knew that they would tell me no, but I needed to get my shtick down to like how I would say it. So I was like, ah, I'm going to get my uncomfortable stuff out of the way with people that are absolutely going to be like, who the hell are you? I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, and then I found that while I was calling, 
the best way to get to somebody because most people you got like a loan officer and then you have like a VP or an AVP in the group. And I realized like this back door way would be better. Like I can talk to you. If I get you on the phone, I can convince you that I'm a good guy and that you'll want to work with me. And so that definitely proved out much better. And I finally got to two banks, um, two credit unions, actually. Uh, one is a happy state bank. I'm going to definitely say it out because they're fantastic. Um, they gave me a unsecured line of credit towards my business, a $50,000 unsecured line of credit using the money that I had set aside as security, but it was not real security. So it was unsecured. And then the other bank is Texas trust credit union, which I absolutely love and adore them. Um, and the guy that I work with is a phenomenal human being. Uh, I've referred probably now 20 something people to him and his pro and his line of credit. Uh, they have a great product where you can buy within a $200,000 to $400,000 line of credit. You're able to buy a property within that. They'll cover up to 80% of the value of it. And they do it with one point down and 3.75% for 20 years. Wow. And you could do it up to a quadplex. I mean, that's like a no brainer. Let's go. Let's roll and let's find it. So like the first quadplex, we were able actually I funded my flip through that that I did in February. Um, we bought it for 140, put 1500 into it, sold it for 180. Um, and then I used so I mean when you use that kind of line of credit and that interest, it's not like a hard money where you're burning 10 to 12%. And then the other one, the we bought the quadplex and then we bought a single family home the same way uh, to use up the rest of my line of credit that was there. Uh, I found a house. Well, we found a house for 95,000. Um, but after we ran the valuation on it as is, it was worth about 130. So they gave me $110,000 to buy the house. So I was able to walk away with 10 grand in my pocket. I literally got paid to buy a house and I'd already had an existing runner in it. I mean, I, want, like, I called him. I'm like, I need, can you give me like 600,000 more dollars? In this? Like, I just, I need more of this because I'm addicted to like crack now. I need more. <laughs> so question, you said you put 1500 into your flip. Yes. What, what did it need for 1500 that you were able to get so much extra value? I can't, I mean, I'm from like the Philly suburbs in Jersey. I can't, think of anything like for a flip that I would put 1500 and get that much out of it. So a lot of what I, we do within CCF is talk about how you find off market deals. And so there's a very structured way into marketing and looking for the deals that you're going to get so that you can get somebody that uh, needs to sell and needs to sell at a discount for various reasons. Um, this property just happened to be one of those like angel investor type of properties where you're like all the gods sing as you're talking about it. Um, she had tried to sell her house previously. Uh, it actually was in fantastic shape. The realtor totally like bombed on her through the sale process. Um, she knew she could sell it on the market for 160 to 165 and not even blink an eye, but she just didn't want to deal with the realtors anymore. She was mad at the way that process went. 
I gave her no objections, no inspection, no appraisal, no nothing. I'm coming in. I'm going to give you money and we're going to close in two weeks. Oh, by the way, I'm also going to give you the money and let you stay there for 30 days while you figure out where you're going to move to. She was moving to a, she wanted to buy a house uh, in the middle of nowhere to get away from everybody here. And so she was leaving and she needed that time to find in that money to find her next house. So I was able to give her that flexibility. And by doing that, I was able to get it at a discount. In fact, she really worked me hard on the, on the offer. I mean, I offered her 130 and I really was pretty stout about it, but she worked me pretty good. And she convinced me that it was worth it to do it. And I was like, all right, we could do that. And so I put new carpet in it, cleaned it. And, uh, the great thing was the value in that area was way off. So uh, what happened was that area is actually being totally converted over. There's a lot of, it's an up and coming area. It's on the West side of Fort Worth. There's a lot of uh, younger couples that are moving out there. And I think that it had kind of had a bad stigma, but now it's totally converted. And so that really helps uh, the valuation. So when we put it out there, the first weekend we had like 12 offers and wow, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. I can't complain. I mean, I'm, if I could do those every week, I'd do that. Yeah. If I could get away with putting 1500 into a property, regardless of what the price is, I mean, that's a all day, yeah. all day long. Yeah. Yeah. So most of your offers then are they without inspection, without appraisals? Is that kind of how you, um, you know, present some of these offers as enticing sellers? I think it really depends on the house. Um, because I did initially, true story, I did initially, and that burned me a few times. Um, so what I decided was it's more based on the need and the condition of the house when I'm walking through it. Most of the houses that we're looking at are pretty distressed. I mean, these people have had a real rough time, generally have not paid taxes, haven't taken care of their home. So there's a lot of things that probably need to be taken into consideration. Um, so a lot of times uh, it really depends on if I'm the only one there or if there's a bunch of other investors involved, would we you know, pull some of those back? I think I have a little bit of an advantage. Um, I'm older than a lot of the people that are out there looking at houses making offers that are negotiating because a lot of them are kids compared to me, you know, they're like in their early twenties. And so they're looking at me and like, Oh, he knows what he's doing. I, they don't know that these kids have more experience than I do. So, uh, but I, it seems like I do. Um, so I generally am more working on rapport building. So what is, I, you know, most of the time it's not about finding a deal. It's finding first where, what their issue is, and what their motivation is and can I help them in that situation? So sometimes they have a situation that I can't help them with. Uh, you know, I have had a guy call me and he's like, I have taxes. I don't know how much I really want to get this off my plate. I don't know what to do. And, but he owed like $58,000 in back taxes on a lot where the mobile home's literally falling apart. I can't help you. Like I can't go pay $58,000. You're going to, you know, so referred to some people that might be able to help him. But for me, that's not a great opportunity. But for other people, you know, um, they've had properties in their family for a long time. They don't know how to get rid of it. There's like 20 different people they've got to pull together. 
I have a phenomenal title company that I have to send cookies and coffee to regularly for <laughs> the extra work that they do for me. But like they've, we've been able to finagle and fine tune and work through people's issues. And along with the, that service of really helping them find a way to get out of a property that's a burden for them and then helping them get relief, I generally am able to get it at a discounted price because we're able to provide that service. That's absolutely, I love it. So, oh my gosh, so many questions come to mind, but I guess I'll start first with, you were talking about finding the motivation of the sellers. Is that something the program um, taught you as well? Kind of like what questions to ask, or is it something that you feel like you were good at naturally? Kind of, you know, if someone's listening to this, kind of how would you describe to somebody how they can go about finding a seller's motivation? So I think one is just, being a decent human being. Um, I think that we all get tied up into the money part of this because there's a lot of money flying around. Uh, but if you break it down to like dollars and cents, you know, instead of making $150,000, it's $150, you know, $1.50. Okay, well that's not as, it doesn't weigh the same, carry the same weight. I think that um, if you're just a, for us, and yes, CCF to go back to, CCF did help me really transition to understand how to talk to people about their motivations and also making sure that that's a good conversation point and how to naturally pull that through the conversation. Um, but also I think it's, I am a natural people person. Here knows that about me. I love to talk um, probably too much sometimes, <laughs> but I, you know, I want when I meet somebody in a seller, I really want them to know that I'm there to help them because what I do find every one of the deals that we've done, I've been able to really help somebody through a really difficult situation. Even the quadplex that we got, that lady had, she was in Colorado. She was running an Airbnb illegally through it and she needed to dump it because it was costing her money. And so we were able to re-strategize how we were going to approach it so that we could do that property the way we wanted to, but we were able to get a property out of her hands that she needed to get rid of because it was a burden and wasn't where she is. So like, I feel like that to me is the exciting part of really looking for what somebody needs out of the deal and trying to figure out how we can make that a win along with making it a win for us at the same time. And I find that if you're asking questions, you know, tell me, so I, I love the questions of, if we can figure out what price, you know, we can get you what you're looking for in money. We can come to agreement before we even talk money. We can come to an agreement on money. Where are you going to go next? Or if you're not, if you're like an absentee owner, what are you going to do with the money? Are you going to reinvest it? Where do you go? Because when you ask those types of questions, it leads to them telling you really why they're leaving. If you got somebody in a house, you're like, where are you going to go? And if they don't have a picture, that's scary. Like, okay, wait, you're trying to sell me your house, but you have no idea where you're going to go. Like, let's, then I need to help you paint that picture. Okay. Well, what would you like to do? Are you going to move with your kids? Are you going to, you know, how's that going to go? Where are you going to go to? And then you can use that as part of the conversation for down the road. Hey, so you definitely want to move to Arkansas. Let's make sure we can get you there. This is what I can do to help you get to Arkansas. This is how we'll make sure we're getting you where you want to be. And we can help you do that within this time frame. 
Oh my God. I feel like you just gave me motivation now <laughs> to talk to sellers and figure, you know, out their motivation. Cause I feel like I, I know there are a lot of investors out there who do truly want to help, but I do feel like there are a lot out there that are just looking for the best deal possible. And, you know, not the, the ripping people off, but that's kind of all they care about is getting the best deal possible. So it kind of sounds like you're coming from a place of actually wanting to truly help people. Um, which I think is why you've been so freaking successful. I do think that I think you put it out in the universe, right? And the best you can give out there, uh, it'll come back to you one way or the other. Um, so I feel like I, I haven't reached my goals by any stretch of the imagination. And if you'd have asked me like two hours ago, I was in like this deep, deep depression about not being where I wanted to be. But I do believe that the more opportunities I have to help somebody, the more the good stuff will keep coming. So yeah, I think you can get rich quick in this environment um, because I could totally tell you there have been times where I probably could have convinced somebody to do something that wasn't the best for them. But there's just that part of me that's way, all right, the best thing for you is just to stay right here. Like, this is what you need to do. Let me plug you in with this person. You need to refinance and then you needed to stay right here. You literally have no place to go. Like you don't make any money. What are you going to do? You know, those types of things. I think it's people get, it is, you get kind of a, a desire. I, I think Ryan Dossie will often say kind of, you get uh, commission breath is you're like, you're wanting that deal and you can feel it coming to you. But also you have to, I think ethically, you have to make sure you're doing it from the right, you know, place of, I don't know, for me, where you're doing for the right place in your heart. Yeah, I don't want to speak for Kier, but I think we both agree that, you know, giving and, and part of our giving is doing this podcast and helping people. Um, it, it'll hopefully come back tenfold, you know, to our personal goals. But first and foremost, we want to help people. Um, so we, we love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, I, I paused real quick because uh, I think I have the washer going and it sounds like it's banging around in the background. I'm not sure if you guys can hear that. <laughs> um, so Chris, you were talking about, you know, how you haven't even reached your goals yet. Is one of your goals to scale this? Like, I feel like, you know, you've already made 150 or 120 this year. You're looking to make $50,000 a month for the rest of the year. Um, do you have plans to scale this thing huge? No. Um, I think originally I did, like when I first started, I was like, you know, let's go thousand doors. Let's go, you know, all that. Um, I think for me, what I want is to scale it in a way where I'm getting a really great income for myself. Um, as well as I've established the right, uh, long-term wealth within the passive income structure that I have that will help us meet our personal goals as a family. And I do have aggressive goals within that. Now, don't get me wrong. The dollar amounts that I have on my list are not small. However, uh, where I want to be within the next few years uh, requires me to scale it a little bit, but I don't need a significantly large operation to do that. My bigger focus is trying to get more um, more long-term within the next year. So as we structure out our next year, how do I continue holding more properties rather than 
buying and selling properties or fixing and flipping properties because I believe that's your only true way. You know, Kira, I mean, you've got some phenomenal rentals going. That's the only way I'm going to be able to separate, you know, where at least I feel good about, hey, you know what, this week when I'm off and things aren't happening in certain ways for me, um, I know that bills are still getting paid, you know, that type of thing. So I saw on your Instagram, you joked about uh, how you're keeping the post office in business. Um, yeah. And I saw all the boxes of, of, I guess I'm assuming they're like direct mail letters. So how many letters do you send? Like kind of what's your response rate? Um, you know, and then I do have more questions about what, what it, what your letters actually say, but kind of what's, what's going on with that? How much direct mail do you actually do? So uh, at the beginning of the year, I did pretty poor job of keeping the mailbox, the post office in business. Um, I was, pro I would do an order of about 3,500 letters and then mail it out and then wait like six weeks and then order another one. And that does not build consistency in your marketing at all. Even though I knew it, I just never did it right. Um, so if you were going to do marketing and you want consistency in your deal flow, whatever scale it is, like if you want, you know, whatever number it is you want each week, you need to be making sure you're mailing that each week in order to get there. And uh, so our goal is to do one a week. Um, right now we're running uh, about 1700 letters uh, out a week. Uh, depends 1700, I'd say letters and postcards. Cause we do some postcards. Um, and that'll generally get us to enough leads to where we can, we'll get one. Uh, we really just scaled that in August. Um, cause I just did a poor job before. I don't have any other good excuse. Uh, and so we really started consistently doing that. And now I'm seeing enough deal flow where we're getting quite enough uh, volume to be able to say, all right, I will be able to by October see one deal each week. And then my goal is next year to do at least six a month and then more. So, so, so what? response rates usually depends. Uh, it depends on what you're pulling, like what kind of leads you're pulling and then what you're mailing, uh, with postcards, uh, we see a lower response rate, uh, usually half a percent to a percent response rate. Um, sometimes I get better depending on like, I don't know if the winds blew great that time or not. We might get a one and a half percent response rate, um, which I'm not upset about when that happens. Uh, we typically use those on people that we've already mailed, like on a big cut on a letter or, um, people that probably see a lot of mail. So we live in Tarrant County, which is in Fort Worth. Uh, it is a very hot, hot market for our area. Dallas and Fort Worth are significantly growing all the time. And so if you're an absentee owner, you're getting a bajillion letters. I mean, it's just happening and texts and calls and you know, you name it. Right. So, and RVMs. So, uh, we use postcards and that brings a little bit of, cause it's 
uh, Ryan Dossie's got some pretty ballpoint marketing, has some pretty phenomenal postcards. If you want to go to their website and check them out. They are awesome. Yes. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many people have said they call because that postcard stood out to them. So yeah, I, I, I can't say enough good things about it. Uh, the custom letters we get one to two. Sometimes I've had a three and four response rate. Um, but generally if I were to average them out, it's about one and a half percent response rate on the letters. Uh, it's, we've got a custom letter. I wish I had one up here. Um, I've got a, that we did with, uh, a professional. So it says Texas on it. It's got some Texas looking things. And so it's kind of more custom to our area. And then on the inside letter, it has our logo and all that stuff. And the letter is really simple. Uh, dear so-and-so I'm interested in purchasing one, two, three main street. If you're interested in selling, give us a call or a text at, you know, our number sincerely, Chris, it's that simple. Um, I might change it up a bit here and there, add like with no realtor fees, you know, if you're interested in selling with no realtor commissions or something like that, but I don't add anything crazy. Like, Hey, I see you're going through a divorce and, you know, sure would like to help you get rid of that house in your horrible divorce or, you know, anything crazy like that. So we, we pretty much keep a lot of that back because, um, and then we also mail a lot of things together in a bunch. So I'll pull a data uh, from different places and sourcing. And then when I mail it, I usually don't know what that specific address is being mailed for in my data. I have to go back and dig it to figure out why. So did you, I feel like it might've been you that I talked to about this. Um, have you ever tried those? I recently have been getting them and I feel like it was right after, I think it was you, that I talked to about this. Um, I recently have been getting, you know, I always get postcards and stuff for our rental properties. Um, but recently I have been getting like three page letters and I, they just go into detail. So I feel like that was you that I talked about it, right? Uh, we haven't talked about it. Oh. There is, I have, uh, I do know that there is some discussion about those types of letters. I think that you can, it depends on the owner and what type of property it is. You know, you wouldn't want to spend a dollar amount for a $50,000 property on a three page letter. Um, but on a, you know, 200 plus $300,000 property that looks like it has some value those to me make sense. I think also it depends on the, your client that you're looking at. If I wouldn't traditionally, I probably wouldn't mail you that care because you know, you're an absentee owner. So most likely, you know about it in my perspective. Now I could be totally wrong at all, but like as a regular owner, somebody that lives in their house, you're trying to convince to move that's on the fence, but doesn't know what business is like in this space, it may be something that I would definitely pursue. Yeah, we've definitely talked about those as, you know, can you do long form letters and would it make sense and how would that look and what would you lay out to make sure it works and stuff like that. I think really education is a lot of what we spend a lot of time doing is trying to tell people what's going on, how to, you know, what to do. So how do you even find, you know, you were saying that you target um, absentee owners, like 
What other kind of lists have you targeted? Have you found um, one list to be better than another or, you know, kind of clue us in on, on that aspect of everything? Uh, so PropStream is my favorite friend. I don't know if whoever, you know, uh, hats off to PropStream guys. They're phenomenal. Um, I love PropStream. We use it for pretty much every list that's on there. Like any list that doesn't say, you know, seniors with equity, uh, only not that I have anything against seniors with equity. They just take forever to get a deal. Like it just does. Uh, but, uh, we mail, uh, expired listings. Um, I feel like pre this, you know, right at the beginning of this year, expired listings were phenomenally hot for me. Like if your house is on the market and you didn't sell it, then I was able to pull it and sell it. Uh, it's really rare now that a house gets on the market and doesn't sell. So, um, we are rehitting those. Um, and I'm marketing those. I do get quite a bit of calls off of them. We're just not getting as many opportunities. I feel like we were before, because there's a lot of high-end buyers behind us with, once you're on the market type thing. Um, and generally, if you're putting on the market, you it's not like a crap house in our area right now. So it's kind of making it a little tougher. Absentee is always good. I feel like even though it's like oversaturated, I feel like you still get quite a bit of you hit them at the right time with the right opportunity. And they're like, you know what? I really do want to sell this house or yeah, man, I just evicted this guy for the 12th time. Or, um, we just bought a house from a lady who literally had like four bad renters in a row. And we were able to help her out of getting out of a house that she also needed the money to do some fix on her house. So I feel like that was a phenomenal opportunity, but like that type of thing. Um, and then any of the other lists, liens, tax liens, bankruptcies, closures are on there. Um, you can, I mean, like to me, PropStream is my best friend. I can't tell you how many. Most, most of everything volume we get comes from PropStream leads. Actually, almost 100% of it. <laughs> Plus referrals. I mean, I've, we've closed one through a referral. Um, so, I mean, that was a probate referral. So, other than that. So I don't know. Now I definitely can hear my washer going. I'm very sorry, everybody. <laughs> Bill, um, I am literally about to change the subject because he something just sparked in my brain. Um, but did you have any other questions on these two topics that we've gone over so far? I did have one, I think. So we're talking a lot about like sending direct mail and letters and all of this stuff. Yeah. That that assumes that you have identified all of the leads and everything like that. And we've also mentioned that you've had an acquisition manager who might be doing some of the cold calling and things like that. Beyond those two ways of reaching out and finding and talking to leads, do you do anything else? And then how do you kind of balance, you know, beyond postcards and letters, do you balance like phone calls and other things and maybe text campaigns? Yeah, we haven't, uh, we are looking into true cold calling and text messaging at some point. Um, I, I've hedged on it a lot and Kieran, I've talked about it a number of times. I, I was in the call center world and I do know how intrusive cold calling and texting can be, especially if you're not wanting to do it. Um, so I feel like you're really just fishing for somebody that's at an opportunity of, and I really just don't love that medium 
So I haven't spent a lot of effort doing that. So we spend most of our time responding to uh, the direct mail and then really reaching back out to the lead once we get them in. Be amazed how many times they call in. They're like, yeah, I want you to come look at my house. And then you can't get back in touch with them. And then, you know, a month later, they're like, oh, yeah, I want you to come back out and look at my house. I really want to sell it. And then you can't. So uh, it is a lot of work keeping up with them to get them to appointment. Uh, and then once you get into appointment, then making an offer and then getting through the offers. So the way we balance it, I have an acquisition guy who goes and runs most of the appointments. Um, once he gets back from the appointments, we run, load all the pictures up. We look and see what do we, we run comps, try to decide what do we think it's going to be worth? What do we, what can we offer? What was their motivation that they found out while he was there? Trying to really get to what is it that we can do to help them or can we help them within that? And then once we get through that, we go and make our offer. Um, once we make the offer, then it's following up with them because generally your first offer is uh, you have to get thick skin where you get a lot of hell no's or go to hell's or, you know, there's some other choice words that people love to say to you in the first offer. Um, but I don't, it really is like what you call your anchor offer. You give a lowered offer to, to really get up to what you're looking for and, you know, what your max can be. But if you start off at your max, it's like going in and buying a used car. You're like, hey, you know, whatever this price is, that's, I want $5,000 off. Well, they're not going to give you $5,000 off because they're going to try to meet you in the middle. But if you say, I want 10, they may give you five. So it's kind of the same idea. I feel like um, in this process, people want to feel like they've got you through the process to get more. So, um, well, the way uh, my acquisitions guy's name actually is Ryan. Uh, so Ryan and I will meet up and we'll walk through what leads he's got, kind of talk through what opportunities he's had. We'll also just talk about, you know, uh, different training things. He's like, he loves to watch videos. We'll talk about you know, different skill sets that he's working on. Also just mindset. A lot of this is mindset. I mean, it's a mental, it's a mental game, right? Um, I think that when you're an entrepreneur, I used to say, uh, in the corporate world as a corporate trainer, I got to do whatever I want. I did my own thing and I was, you know, but I also got a paycheck no matter what I did. Like, if I blew $80 million because I messed up a program and somebody was like, Oh, that's a bad thing. Okay. And, but that wasn't my 80 million. That was the company I worked for and they were still paying me my paycheck and I got my hand slapped and got to figure it out that you can't do that. And this you're this it's yours. And so um, there's a lot of different mindsets of, and also make sure you have the continuous consistency that you need to. Um, I was used to for 23 years, having a team that reported to me here. And I've talked about this. I had a team established and I knew I'm a leader by nature. It's who I am. I know how to do it. If I had a team today, I have no doubt in my mind. Once I get my crews running, I won't have a hard time running it once I'm right where I need to be, but I don't have that team. And so I'm relying on me and my skills every day, day in, day out for all the pieces. It gets, gets lonely it gets stressful um sometimes it's you know depressing you're like oh man well maybe i should go back to that corporate gig you know type thing um so there are times where you get all that down but i think at the end of the day i i heard you guys talk about it multiple times just the time flexibility that you get um, that's really my 
I think my saving grace right now. I mean, my wife and kids love me better now, I think, because I'm a nicer person. <laughs> so I don't work a hundred plus hours a week. Um, and what I am working in this, I'm still nicer, even on my most stressful day. Like I've made dinner this year, probably more times than I made in the previous 20 plus years. I mean, and I'm not a good cook, so don't like make that sound like I'm good at any at it at all. I've made a crappy dinner more time this year than I had in the previous 20 years, but my family appreciates it because you know I'm here to do it and you know I'm available instead of you know on the road and or working. It's really funny that you. I think you might be the first person that like really focused on mindset. Literally, when we were waiting for you to hop on this call earlier, Bill and I were talking about having a mindset episode so it's really um i don't know i feel like it's like the universe bill and i put out into the universe and you come on and you talk about mindset so um that, that's, I do believe yeah. that you're you know i don't have to give hats off to the ccf uh ryan is really big on mindset and one of the things we do a lot is talk through he brings in people we've had therapists i've cried I mean, it's been, you know, fantastically awful. I've admitted stuff, you know, deeply personal within a group of our 200 plus people that's terribly, you know, uh, terribly personal. I think that, but that it gives you truth. It allows you to let go. It allows you to be in an environment full of people that truly do care about you. I mean, there's not a member that I can't call and say, hey, I need to help me figure this out. I mean, uh, one of our good friend, he's, I call him up north and I'm down south, but he's up in the north part of DFW. He's killing it. They're going to do probably 70 plus deals this year. And uh, him and his wife left his job full time. And I mean, they're just impressive. They're a machine. And so I called him and I'm like, I'm a dumbass. Can you come, can I come up there and see what you guys are doing? Absolutely. Like spend the day with them able to walk through their processes, see what they're doing differently than me, try to figure out how it is. Like, I think the one thing I've heard you guys talk about on the, about the community and the real estate environment is that a lot of people are really are willing to share with everybody, um, which I, which is surprising. Um, I do feel like we don't talk enough though about your mental health and your mindset and the person we're willing to share like how to do stuff we're not willing to really talk about man today was a tough day like i could go high and low all day long you know like i'm a teenager all over again like i'm <laughs> crazy happy crying in the corner and then depressed over somewhere else and just want to play video games and not talk to anybody for a while like that's all the same thing all within like five hour span but i wouldn't really want to trade it for anything else yeah, I love that you brought that up. I feel like that's so important, um, especially for new investors, because um, I it's easy, I feel like, once you experience that first, like, really, really low, low uh, to want to give up. So I think it's, it's good coming from someone who's, you know, been so successful. And I think it's, I know when we first started, you know, working together and Steve Rodenberg, and um, I know you were kind of frustrated those first couple months. But now you're killing it. So it's kind of, you know, coming from somebody who, um, you know, within a year has done 100 and 
$28,000 in deals. I think it's really cool um, to hear that and for you to like reiterate that for newer investors. Yeah, I think that when you're new, Instagram and, you know, TikTok now, uh, which is still not trended yet on, but I think they make it seem really easy and the dots sound real sexy to put together. And so when you first come in, you have this desire to really hit a home run deal because look at all these things that everybody else has done. And I think the reality is that it's really tougher. Um, even if you're, you know, doing what Bill's doing, he's doing a full-time job and a fix and flip. I mean, he's living, literally living on his couch and cooking in his, you know, a little bitty stove next to his thing. I mean, that's not an easy life, but he's making a commitment to do it. A lot of people wouldn't necessarily really get that. And I think that, um, it, you have to really, once you get in, you have to realize that it, a lot of it's more your mindset. Where am I going to be? How do I need to get there? And staying very focused on those, those goals and staying consistent. I mean, I have it up on my board, consistency and persistence. Like that is, I got to make sure I stay that way every day. Cause I literally could just go sit downstairs and meditate and float off and do whatever I want. Forget this whole world for a little while. The consistency yeah, I, is so, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Bill. I was going to say, I think self-care is a huge part of it. Um, like for me, like you mentioned, like my living situation, like it might seem crazy, but to me, I'm perfectly comfortable. I have my bed, my mattress. There might be a little more takeout in my diet than, than typical. My only real gripe is that my office chair is my couch. So I just turn around to watch TV. Right. Like that's my only gripe. Everything else is fine. I got to bathroom upstairs you know I'm, I'm comfortable yeah but you know you do need some of those like self-care days where you just want to play some video games it's, it's tough with the full-time job right i do think that a new investor and i think for, for me when i started i went back and read some notes because i write it a year so i was reading different things that i had done and like I had wrote up this like super naive plan. I'm going to buy one house in three months. And then like I had like a Fibonacci accelerator on it, you know, one plus one. And, three. and I was like, by this time, I should have 40 freaking houses. That's not happened at all. Uh, but it doesn't mean I'm not successful or reaching, you know, where I want. I think it's learning how to get in, figure out what it is that you're wanting to do that's meeting your goals. And really being truthful about what are your goals. I think the hardest part for me was really truly articulating what it is I wanted. Cause everybody says I want passive income, but what does that mean to you? Like how much passive income? Okay. Well, what does that look like? Or I want to make this much per year. Great. Everybody wants to make, you know, 200 grand or 300 grand or half a million. Yeah, I'd love to make a half million dollars this next year. How do I want to get there? Well, in order to do that, I need to do six deals per month at this rate to get there. Okay, what do I need to do to mail that? I got to mail a crap ton of people to get to that. Or I got to start cold calling or I got to start, you know, adding in some stuff. All right, what does that look like in order to be there? I feel like that's the approach that you have to get very focused in. What is your goal? And then how do you want to get there? But I don't 
think we, I think we spend a lot of time in the superficial part of what is your goal. And for me, finally being able to walk through that, you know, and have an accountability conversation with myself. All right, Chris, do you really know what you want? I didn't at the beginning of this. And now I have a pretty good, all right. I know where I want to be in five years, how much money I want to be making, what I want from passive income. And I'll be damned if I don't get there. If I don't get there, I'll be pretty still better off, way better off than I am today. So. Yeah, I, um, what I was going to say earlier real quick was um, about consistency. I feel like, you know, it's the, and even kind of what you're talking about now, sitting down and actually like writing out goals and figuring out, you know, how you're going to get there. Um, it's not sexy. It's not the fun part. It's not, you know, it, what you see on Instagram is the fun part and the highlight reel and what has to happen behind the scenes in order for you to get to where you want to be. Um, it's the daily small, consistent, and like you said, persistent, um, action steps, even if they're like one little small thing a day can get you yeah. huge results. I think it was in the miracle morning. He said, uh, success is boring. Like it's just finding your way to get yourself through the monotonous, boring parts. Um, I, I don't know. There's, I think there's some truth to that because it's like you said, it's not sexy to do deal with the title company and deal with all the conversations and do all that stuff. That's, it's not, it's much more fun to post a check, you know, type thing. Um, but those are all the, it's not fun to make a call to a lead. I, I don't know. I probably talked to, man, I don't even know thousands of people this year. And at this point though, I still get nervous. Like, I don't know how many conversations I've had in my, I still get like a little bit nerve in my stomach before I pick up the phone and they called me. They want to sell me their house and I'm nervous still calling them. I have no idea why, but I think like, it's just getting through that every time, making it a repetition, doing it over and over and staying consistent at it. I think once you get through uh, that habit, you create that habit, it's a mindset changes your mindset about yeah, it's uh, and then too, speaking of that, it's like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable at some point, maybe, I don't know, but likely at some point, if you're doing this for years, um, you're going to get more comfortable with those phone calls. And I had a mentor, like when I first, first started and he was telling me, you know, cause I was, one of my fears was speaking to sellers on the phone. Um, and he was kind of like, oh, I used to be the same way. I would sit down, I'd write out a script, I'd do research, I'd, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, now I could be in the kitchen cooking dinner and my phone rings and I answer it and I have stuff going in a pot and I'm cooking over here and I'm slicing and dicing over here. And I'm just like, it's a natural yeah. conversation. Yeah. Before at the beginning of the year, I literally would come in here, everything would closed down. I couldn't talk like, oh, I have to be quiet. Hush. I got to get my mind right. Now I'm just pick up the phone. I'm like, yeah, I'll be out running around with the kids, walking the dog, whatever it is, definitely. But I still get nervous. I don't know why, but I still get nervous. I love that you bring up that you still get nervous though, because I think that's a huge thing that stops people from doing it is like they feel, they do, they feel uncomfortable about it and they feel nervous and they feel like they're not doing something wrong, but that they shouldn't feel that way. So maybe they shouldn't be doing it, but um, it's good to hear that you still get nervous. I have a good friend of ours that's in CCF had told him put something on his Instagram the other day. And he was like, 
he's talked, he's done this for years. He's like, I don't have thousands of people he's talked to. And he was like, I still screw up calls. He was like, I totally botched this last call. So it's just funny how, like, I think we, you think you get perfect over time, but I mean, we watch NFL players and MLB people and they're at their top of their game and they literally strike out, screw up on a regular basis. So, I mean, I feel like we don't give ourselves enough credit for, you know, still being new, still learning, still, you know, even when you've been doing this for a long time, still trying to figure out how to make yourself better. I think those nerves is what keeps you on your toes. I think if I ever got to the point where I'm like not nervous and I should never take that call anymore, I need to totally outsource it because I'm going to, I won't be on my game. I'll be like blowing it off. And once I start blowing it off, I need to definitely pass that on to somebody else. Oh my gosh. I feel like that was a little bit of like a mic drop moment for this, for this episode. I have so many more questions for you though, but we're, you know, we're trying to keep these episodes about an hour. So I don't know, we might have to have him on again, Bill. Did you have like any, like a final question um, that you'd want to ask? I feel like this, I love ending with the kind of the mindset piece and um, you know, helping the right word quell is that a word the fears for new investors that's a fancy word i'm so fancy over here no no questions here but i i totally agree we we want to have you back we want to get i guess more into systems processes more into see how you're doing did you meet those goals um for the rest of the year I mean, maybe maybe we can have them on in January and we can do like a little a follow-up. Like how did your last three months go? Maybe it'll it'll give you a little push knowing that you have to come on and, and report back. I'm good with that. Yes. And you guys are doing a great job. I really do appreciate y'all putting this together. I've listened to every podcast. It's been great. I, oh, my yeah. heart. That's a good value for us, uh, especially for people that are just trying to get, you know, more of a down and gritty kind of view into different people's perspectives about investing and what that means. So you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, So Chris, if you just want to, you know, uh, take us out here with where people can find you, um, your Instagram handle is, I don't know if you want to tell them your website, anything that you want to promote, here's your your opportunity. Uh, So my Instagram handle is CM Brickeen, B-R-E-C-H-E-E-N. Uh, that's horrible. And so my wife keeps telling me I should change it. Um, and then my uh, company is Eight Point Properties. And our website is sell28pt.com. And, uh, you know, if you have questions, you want to DM me, I'd be glad to answer anything. Here knows I'm an open book to help people out anytime I can possibly do that. Um, and then, you know, if you need anything anywhere, you also find me on Facebook, Chris Brickeen. I'm not fancy. I think I'm even on TikTok as CM Brickeen. So whatever. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Do you have any TikTok videos? Not yet. My wife is, my wife loves TikTok and she thinks I should totally be rocking the TikTok because, you know, I'm a big nerd. And so I say stupid stuff on a regular basis. So she thinks that's the perfect platform for me. So. <laughs> well, again, in January, maybe you'll have put together some TikTok videos for us to, for us to watch. Deal. All right, deal. By January, I'll make fifty thousand dollars a month, and I'll be a TikTok TikTok rock star. Okay, we're giving you homework. <laughs> Got it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. This has been 
Absolutely. Absolutely amazing. I feel like you had so many good points and I feel like, especially for new investor, newer investors, I think they're going to get a lot out of this episode. All right. Well, we'll uh, wrap it up here. So have a good rest of your night. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks.